Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guidebooks. The instant I'd finished, I heard a gazump. I looked. I saw something pop out of a stump, of a tree I'd chopped down. It was sort of a man. Describe him? That's hard. I don't know if I can. He was shortish and oldish and brownish and mossy. And he spoke with a voice that was sharpish and bossy. Mister... He said with a sawdusty sneeze. I am the Lorax. I speak for the trees. I speak for the trees, for the trees have no tongues. And I'm asking you, sir, at the top of my lungs, stop stop chopping chopping down down the Joshua trees. Dearest Michael, why, 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 oh why did we start this episode with a selection from Dr. Seuss's The Lorax. Because, among other things, news that broke this past week during the government shutdown was that parts of Joshua Tree had been, Joshua Tree National Park had been damaged beyond repair in that people have started to cut down the Joshua Trees in the park. They have started to cut down the Joshua trees because they are creating illegal off-roads inside of park territory. I hate to use my stern voice in front of a lady, but I am riled up. You are, I I am. That was the 30 Rock reference. But my goodness, this really, really, really pissed me off when I read this. Yeah. Um, And it has really put me in a really sour mood for the end of this week. I'm yeah. not going to lie. Yeah, it definitely um, was some of the most disheartening news that we've kind of read during the shutdown. And there's been a lot that's come through since our government shutdown breakdown There's episode. been a lot of disheartening yeah. news. So we're going to get to why the Joshua trees specifically are like the saddest of sad news in a few. But first, let's talk about some other problems that are happening. We've mentioned a little bit about what's going on in our government shutdown breakdown trail mix before. Mm -hmm. But let's get into it. Let's start with garbage. So garbage has been a big issue in the parks because most of the parks are operating with the skeleton crew. Um, A lot of that are rangers that are there um, for assistance, but for park security. 
Um, no one is taking admissions. Um, the parks are open and free right now because of the shutdown. So really, the rangers are stretched pretty thin. Um, garbage collection can't necessarily happen. And garbage cans are overflowing. Um, rather than people bringing the garbage out of the park with them, which you would think if you saw an overflowing trash can and you knew that the government was shut down and no one was collecting it, um, you'd think people would just put it in a bag in their car and bring it along with them out of the park to throw out somewhere. Um, but trash has become a real issue. Um, trash really is an issue on many levels besides just general littering in a beautiful natural outdoor space. It's starting to become a problem because wildlife will start to associate food with humans, specifically an article I read or that we both read mentioned black bears. Really, the Park Service has done a job over the last several decades of disassociating the black bears with humans and food. Once black bears start to associate humans with food, then there's more of a danger of bear attacks and bears needing to be euthanized. So besides the fact that it's polluting the environment, it's also making it very difficult for the wildlife to maintain their habitat and understand their their natural surroundings. Let's be real. Garbage is like a convenience service. It is not it is not required of anybody really anywhere to be responsible for your garbage. And this is to protect black bears. This is to help black bears understand where they can get sustainable food. Because if they start to associate humans with sustainable food, then that is when conflict happens. Right. And it's not just black bears, because it it's any sort of animal in a national park setting. That's always one of the first things that you read would read on a sign. Don't feed the animals. Because you're right. It's, it's preventing the animals then from understanding where they can find their sustainable source of food. Exactly. exactly. It is in the interest of their own right. survival. And health and well-being. Exactly. Yeah. We have another problem going on, which is bathrooms. Bathrooms. Let's talk about earth toilets for a second. We talked about it before. Let's talk about them again. Okay, Mike, when you go into an earth toilet, which is a bathroom that is sort of like inside of a little, like, you know, a built four by four square with like the top of what looks like a commode in it and is essentially a hole in the ground. How far deep does that hole go? Do you think? Right. So earth toilet, another name though, is also a pit toilet. So we can think about it like that. If you're not familiar with the term earth toilet, the hole is, I don't know. I would say it's at least six or seven feet around that. Yeah. It's, I mean, from what we can kind of see. They are overflowing. Right. That means, right. Right. That is like a significant pile of doo-doo right um you know it's not in every portion of the park or every part of the park that there are bathrooms with plumbing um where that issue isn't an issue because the plumbing is taking the waste somewhere these pit toilets are literally a pit in the ground where waste is being collected and if there aren't rangers janitorial staff um maintenance staff there to service those toilets they become full because it literally is a hole in the ground. So what people have started to do now because of that is they've started to use the natural surroundings and go to the bathroom there. Now, I understand. Obviously, you're in a park. There's not a bathroom. But whenever we've been in a park, any of the signs that we've seen, for example, when we were hiking up Vernal Falls, we came across a bathroom pretty early in the trek Um, The bathroom was closed, and the sign that was there said, if you need to defecate, 
please dig an earthen hole that was at least a few feet into the ground and then bury it. So that is a way that you can appropriately dispose of your waste so that it's not just lying around for someone to step in for animals to come across or to get into the water or to get into the water, water and contaminate, contaminate the water um, other natural food that an animal would eat right so that's become a really really big issue it's something that is persisting as a problem now this thing that i'm about to mention i mean I have my hands on my face right now because I am so annoyed by this. Graffiti. (sighs) There has been, specifically in Joshua Tree, but I imagine in other places, a problem with graffiti. Right. So some of the articles that we've read have talked about defacing on trees, defacing on rocks. The one thing that can't necessarily be erased is graffiti on a natural resource um, or a natural object. Um, That's not something that's necessarily going to go away without potentially damaging that natural object, which has already been damaged by you, an ignoramus, deciding that you wanted to, you know, leave a mark somewhere because it would be cool. Now, let's talk about graffiti. Graffiti is absolutely a form of art. Right. It is a beautiful, specific form of art that there are tons of spaces for it. Right. Sometimes graffiti, as with any kind of art, sometimes it's used to make a statement or make kind of, some kind of like artistic, it could be considered a protest, but some sort of artistic statement in a public space. I am not saying that graffiti artists should stop being graffiti artists. Right. I'm saying I don't understand the point of going into a natural environment that has done nothing to harm you. Right. And defacing it. In right. that, that act is an act of de- defacing them. Right. And I think some of the biggest issues that are at hand in this government shutdown with the national parks is that these are sacred spaces. These are spaces for everyone to enjoy for as many generations as it's possible for us to enjoy these spaces. They are beyond the realm of humans in that we are so much smaller than these spaces and what they have to offer us. And like, how dare you go into this space and do anything other than what you should be doing, which is leaving no trace and just enjoying the environment you are in. Absolutely. How dare you? How dare you? Now let's get to the Joshua Tree problem. According to National Parks Traveler, in Joshua Tree right now, visitors are creating illegal roads and driving into some of the park's most fragile areas. We'll get to what fragile means in a moment. They are also chopping down trees, setting illegal fires, and graffitiing rocks. This is directly from David Smith, the Joshua Tree National Park Superintendent. Quote, We had some pretty extensive four-wheel driving around the entire area to access probably our most significant tree in the park. We have this hybrid live oak tree that is deciduous. It is one of a kind of iconic trees inside of the park. People were driving to it and camping under it through the virgin desert to get to this location. There are about a dozen instances of extensive vehicle traffic off-roads and in some cases into wilderness. We have two roads that we created inside of the park. We had destruction of government property with the cutting of chains and locks to access campgrounds. We've never seen this level of -of out-of-bounds camping. Everyday use area was occupied every evening. 
And since Joshua Tree is about the size of the state of Delaware, there are only eight on-duty law enforcement rangers. And of course, eight law enforcement rangers are never going to be able to prevent this kind of activity over an area of that size. And because of this, the park closed for a little while because of the overflowing trash, because of the human waste, um, because things were happening that were illegal. The park closed um, because they were trying to do a sensible thing and protect it. The federal government rolled back that order. Um, and let's and so talk a little bit about why that happened. Um, basically, in the 2013 shutdown, when there was the debate over health care that caused the government to shut down, the parks closed as well. Part of the repercussions of that were that local businesses, um, local towns that really depended on the tourism from the parks suffered. When Ryan Zinke, the Secretary of the Interior, published an memorandum last January when there was a threat of the government shutdown in January. The party line was that the parks should remain open. And part of that reason was to support those communities and businesses that surrounded the parks. So I can only imagine because that's the the party line, that's why despite all of these issues, Joshua Tree was forced to reopen. Right. And I'm also going to add something here. Just because the national parks are technically open at this time, that does not mean that small businesses aren't still suffering the consequences of the government shutdown. I watched a special on some people who own local restaurants outside of Yosemite. And because of the wildfires this summer, that totally destroyed their right. summer business. Yeah, And because of the government shutdown, people are going less. And that has forced one of these local delis to fully close. And there was another restaurant in the area um, that had a staff of 15 and the owner of the restaurant had to let go of 12 staff members. Wow. So the government shutdown is being felt all over, even into small businesses. Right. And obviously... That depend on park tourism for their business. And obviously it's being felt incredibly by the federal workers that are either working without pay right now or are completely furloughed. Absolutely. Um, so it's it's an issue that is incredibly widespread. But, you know, it is now starting to become an issue for these beautiful federally protected lands that no one is speaking for, just like the Lorax. Just like the there Lorax. There is no one to speak for these lands, but the park rangers and the nature enthusiasts that work and volunteer in these spaces. And because of this government shutdown, this is what we're faced with now. Now, there was a bill passed through the House this week that was created to pay all of the people, like retroactively pay and continue to pay people during the shutdown. Now, um, this has made the news. There were seven Republican representatives who did not vote for this bill. So I looked into why they wouldn't have voted for this bill, because it's like, why, why, why would you not like want these people to be paid? During the um, 2013 government shutdown, a similar bill like this came through, and it was voted on unanimously in the House and the Senate to be approved. So why would these seven Republicans not want to sign this? And because they cite in their statements and that, the dissent of the bill too, right? Yeah. That um, 
the shape of the bill, it allows for us to spend federal government money during a shutdown, and it takes away the pressure that a shutdown gives to both parties to come together and solve a problem and create a solution. It lessens the consequences of going into government shutdown. And so that was their reason behind it, which, I mean, in theory, I understand I mean, I think personally at this time, I'm like, there are 800,000 people who are like literally sitting around waiting for the government to make a choice and we need to help them right now. Yeah. And that's my personal opinion on it. So Dusty, let's talk about why staying on the trail or on marked roads is important for a national park. Okay, so I have to say Joshua Tree National Park is the park that taught me about this. We visited Joshua Tree earlier in 2018, Mm -hmm. in April of 2018. It's the first time we'd ever been there. We will do our episodes on Joshua Tree soon. But this was the first time where I really saw very specific signs about why to stay on the trails. Mm -hmm. And in the ecosystem of um, Joshua Tree, which is mostly the Mojave Desert, there are animals and plants who take hundreds and hundreds of years to build habitats for themselves. Hundreds of years. And the park has created safe space for these living organisms to do that. Because, let's be real, this space is theirs. When we visit the Joshua Tree National Park, we are entering as visitors. Right. We are, it is called a visitor's center because you are a visitor to this place. Right. It, it goes along with the doctrine of leave no trace. Exactly. So when you step off of the trail, you can be stepping onto something that you feel like is just, you know, like another, another spot in the sand. But what you could be doing is ruining the ecosystem and habitat that has been created by like a group of organisms for hundreds of years. Like you can, with your footprint, undo hundreds of years of work for these other creatures. And that seems like it's a silly thought, but this is not the first park that we've been to. I'm struggling to remember, but there was another park that we had been to where there was a lot of signage. There was a lot of literature about staying on the trail because... I think it was Zion. Was it Zion? I think it was Zion. Because you really can disturb... Disturb something that's been and destroy completely. and destroy completely something that's been being that's been built or is so incredibly fragile that you know if you are entering into that space you could totally throw off the balance of it absolutely i mean and if you can do that kind of damage with your footprint what are you going to do what kind of damage will you do with a tire mark right like if you drive a car over it i can't i mean you will destroy that area like forever being habitable ever again for that creature or that ecosystem that was trying to survive there. Or that bacteria or fungus, like is the case in Joshua Tree. Let's talk about the bacteria in the case in Joshua Tree. So um, a lot of the soil in Joshua Tree is held together by um, a bacteria in the top layer of the soil. And this bacteria is there to make sure that it can take in bits of rain each year and not like have all of the plant vegetation be swept away by the wind. But this bacteria that is like at the top of the ground can absolutely be wiped away by a single footprint. And let's talk a little bit about the Joshua tree itself and 
how fragile that is. You know, there have been a lot of papers uh, about the Joshua tree because it is very specific to this part of the world. Um, yes. It's and incredibly specific. So that creates an incredibly specific ecosystem for animals that have grown to depend on it. Exactly. So because so, of climate change, they are predicting that by the end of the 21st century, there will be no Joshua trees left. There was an advocacy organization that actually tried to get the Joshua tree placed on the endangered species list, but they still have had no response on that. Was that recently? No, that was in like 2011. Oh, wow. Okay. No, actually, it could have been, I think it might have been earlier than that. And oh. like this article was published recently that I read okay. this and, and yeah, they still have had no response. Okay. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's incredible. That's going to completely change the ecosystem of that park. So the Joshua tree is a tree that's specifically native to the southwestern United States. It mainly appears in California, Arizona, Utah, and Nevada, um, but it is mostly confined, like Dusty said before, to the Mojave Desert. And we see probably the largest concentration of these trees in Joshua Tree National Park. The tree is also called Isote de Desierto, which is Spanish for desert dagger. Um, it was first originally known as a yucca when it was um, first discovered um, as yucca revifolia. Here we are in our um, nerdier podcast on botany. On botany. <laughs> on, botany. Yes. on botany. What would our, our podcast be on botany? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Joshua Tree was originally given its name by Mormon settlers who were crossing the Mojave Desert. The tree's role in guiding them through the desert and its unique shape reminded them of the b biblical story of Joshua. And they also mentioned that like the outstretched um, limbs of the Joshua tree, it was like it was pointing that to the promised land. Right. And in the in the Bible, Joshua keeps his hands reached out for an extended period of time in order to guide the Israelites to the conquest over Canaan. There's also this legend that Joshua trees only grow in two spots in the earth, and it is that they grow in the Mojave Desert, but that they also grow near Jerusalem. However, I looked this up, and I have not found any scientific evidence mm. That Josh, that these kinds of trees grow anywhere near Jerusalem. So, if you know about that, and if you can like point us in the direction of some um, research that tells us that, we would be happy to um, offer it up in here. Mm -hmm. The trees themselves do bloom. Flowers appear on them from February to late April. Once they bloom, they are pollinated by the yucca moth. It spreads pollen while laying their eggs inside the flower. The moth larvae feed on the seeds, but enough seeds remain for the tree itself to reproduce. And this is an example of the the yucca moth is the only type of insect that can help to pollinate a Joshua tree because right. it is the only one small enough to reach where the pollen is. Right. So this is just another example of the collateral damage that's going to happen as this environment continues to basically be decimated and especially it's only going to be hurried along if people like these, I want to say something much worse than what I'm going to say, but people like these Cretans, there we go, Cretans, people like these Cretans um, are cutting down trees. Um, they're just hastening the process. Not of, only are they cutting them down, they are chainsawing them down. Jesus they are Christ. chainsawing down Joshua trees in order to make off roads for 
their Jeeps. Which, which brings me to this. Okay. There is a thriving community in this country of people who um, get in their cars and drive off-road. There's so many spots to drive off-road in America. There's so many, it's unbelievable. And, um, and they're designated. And the off-roading community has a reputation of like being very, very good about making sure that they're always in designated areas where this goes. They always have the right kind of um, tires um, on their car and that their vehicles meet all the right requirements to do safe off-roading. Because nobody wants an accident when you're off-roading, but off-roading, sure, can be a ton of fun and very exciting. Now, in the area of Joshua Tree, less than 100 miles from Joshua Tree are an unbelievable amount of sites specifically designated for off-roading. Specifically designated. And I was reading this article where this off-roader was talking about how mad he was at this because he was like, I bet you, if you look at those tire marks in the Joshua Tree Desert right now, you will not find tire marks from a real off-roader. You will find some all-season tire nonsense from people who thought they were cool and wanted to try off-roading. Right. And then decided to literally chainsaw down a Joshua Tree in order to make one. Because he said, one, it makes off-roaders look horrible. Right. And that these people are probably not real off-roading people who are not really a part of the community because we have met a few people who off-road like just sort of walking around in arches because when we were in arches there were um they were having a whole like off-roading like conference or something like there was a ton of them around right and it was like right in moab the sense i got from all of those people is that those people are deeply respectful of the natural world and of their surroundings and did stay on the designated areas. Right. So, yeah, it definitely puts a bad taste in people's mouths of um, people who off-road. And I hate it for the the off-roading community. I would now like to transition with this quote from Fred Rogers. When I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. And um, we want to call out some people who are helping right now who are literally being our heroes at this moment. Right. So there is a group called the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association. They have so many chapters all over America, and they have come together to go volunteer in national parks to clean up the garbage and um, to help clean up the bathrooms and to help provide toilet paper where it was needed. Um, The The president of this association literally said we could not sit idly by as our national parks collected trash. So they got on their feet and they got in their cars and they went to the national parks. Also, there is a nonprofit organization called Keep Severe Beautiful or Sevier Beautiful. I hope I'm saying that Mm -hmm. correctly. Um, And they have been volunteering in the Great Smoky Mountain National Parks to collect all of the garbage. And then there's another nonprofit organization in Yosemite who's providing the public with gear to help clean up the park as visitors come. We also want to mention the Friends of Joshua Tree. The Friends of Joshua Tree have been gathering every morning at 10 a.m. at Joshua Tree National Park. And they've been organizing people and volunteers to go out into the park to collect trash, clean the bathrooms. They've been called um, the toilet paper angels because they've been restocking all the toilet paper in all the bathrooms. And it has called 
a lot of other local organizations to go in and take care of these national parks. And um, I have tears in my eyes right now thinking about these people. Um, If I wish um, I had the time right now in this moment to literally drive to Acadia or Shenandoah and help them out. Right. And I think really, if we think about, too, Martin Luther King Day is coming up. Martin Luther King Day is a designated day of service. Um, so if it's possible for you to to pitch in at a national park or a national monument or in any sort of way on Martin Luther King Day, um, that's a designated day to do so, to get out and help your community. Um, and if you're a national park enthusiast and you live near a park, this may be one of the best things that you could probably do um, to help in the government shutdown. I mean, obviously... Do your research, look into how to do it respectfully, responsibly, because sometimes even though we want to volunteer, we may be hurting the situation. So it's a good thing, you know, to to really do the research and see what you can do to pitch in, how you can pitch in, if there's any organization that you can help out in that situation rather than trying to forge it on your own, um, because that may be a little more difficult to do that. And Dusty just mentioned a bunch of organizations just in Joshua Tree alone. And so there have to be other parks that have just as many organizations that are working to support them, conserve them, and and do do that volunteer work that nobody else can do right now because the government's shut down. And instead of ending this trail mix with the game, we're going to end this trail mix with a very special segment. A scathing segment. A scathing segment that we like to call... How How dare you? And to the people that are adding graffiti to the beautiful virgin environment in national parks, how How dare dare you? you? You think just because you have a can of spray paint and a brain cell in your head, you can just waltz into a national park and add your mark to the landscape? Haven't you ever heard of Leave No Trace? Apparently not. Apparently, your prerogative is to spread the doctrine of selfish douchebaggery wherever you go. There are plenty of spaces that aren't literally known as national treasures to make a mark out there in the world. The national parks are everyone's and not a place for you to tag with your handle or some simple moronic declaration that, insert name was here. Nobody Nobody cares. Nobody cares that you were here. I take that back. We all care because now you've made it everyone's problem. How How dare dare you? And to the people who are going around using chainsaws to saw down the beautiful, fragile Joshua trees. How How dare dare you? you? That tree didn't do anything to you. That tree didn't hurt you. That tree didn't abandon your family or reject your invitation to prom. It stayed in its place its entire life and literally left you alone while you were at home farting around in your underwear playing video games. It took that tree 150 years to grow in that spot. I bet you couldn't even last for 150 seconds. Seriously, what have you achieved with your life? Karma Karma will will come come for you. you. I hope when you come back to this earth in your next life, you come back as a desert bacteria who keeps trying to build their home but can't because someone's 10-year-old balding tire keeps running over and over it again. How How dare dare you? And at that very moment, we heard a loud whack. From outside in the fields came a sickening smack of an axe on a tree. Then we heard the tree fall, the very last truffle tree of them all. 
Now all that was left neath the bad-smelling sky was the big empty factory, the Lorax, and I. The Lorax said nothing, just gave me a glance, just gave me a very sad, sad backward glance as he lifted himself by the seat of his pants, and I'll never forget that grim look on his face when he heisted himself and took leave of this place through a hole in the smog without leaving a trace. And to all that the Lorax left here in this mess was a small pile of rocks with one word, unless, whatever that means, well, I just couldn't guess. But now that you're here, the word of the Lorax seems perfectly clear. Unless someone like you cares the whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. has been Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. And we're here to remind you to hike early and hike often. And that adventure is always out there. Follow us on Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. You can also email us at Gaze at the National Parks at gmail.com. And that's Gaze, G-A-Z-E. Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. This episode was edited by Dustin Ballard. The theme song and original music was written and performed by Dave Seaman with Mariella Klinger. All original artwork featured on Instagram is by Michael Ryan. 